particularly on Christmas, there's this sort of like frantic need to be happy. My brother's old room used to be mine And all of our posters have changed over time Now all of our idols are on the tip of our tongues And we can't recall what's his name over eggnog and rum And my brother's old room used to be mine Now my mother's old paintings can finally shine and fill all the spaces where celebrities posed. I woke up this morning in a room that I know. Hi, and welcome back to Music at Three Pines, the podcast. My name is Brad Rayleigh, and for this episode, I sat down with Heather Maloney. We've been fans of her since we first heard her sing with Darling Side at the Four Corners Music Festival in beautiful Pagosa Springs, Colorado. Since then, we've had the good fortune to see and hear her several times, including last year right here in Fort Collins. Heather is a shot of goodness and a delight to talk to, as you will learn here. She writes thoughtful and insightful songs and sings with a power and joy all her own. This podcast went on a little bit longer than some, but mostly because we had so much to talk about. From her new Christmas EP to her experience with tone policing and, of course, her musical background, including a stint at a silent retreat where she, oddly enough, learned to find her voice. I will have to apologize to singer-songwriter Dar Williams, if I ever meet her, as I did not realize that one of Heather's Christmas songs was, in fact, Dar's, but simply had to leave that part in there. Please go buy Heather's Christmas EP entitled Christmas Anyway, a lovely way to embrace the holidays during a pandemic. Heather Maloney. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this. Oh my gosh, me too. And thank you for being so flexible with me. I've just oh. been in a holiday whirlwind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, your EP is fantastic, by the way. We've been we've been really digging it. So Oh, that means a lot. Thanks for yeah. saying that. Yeah. For the pandemic. And it feels like the world is, you know, kind of come to a weird <sighs> kind of timeless kind of thing. I don't we don't know what it is, but it is. It really is. Yeah. Time doesn't make as much sense as it used to. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, and I also it's sort of compound like the the pandemic fatigue, which we all have and the, the, you know, the nature of these times, which seem to sort of run together and, you know, we don't have the same structures of time as we used to. We don't work the same hours, the same days, the same physical locations, like everything's sort of shifty. But on top of that, like making a holiday EP and, um, and, and releasing it and navigating the whole new way of doing that has left me just, I mean, I can literally only do what's in front of me right now, (laughs) which I guess is, you know, I'm living in the present moment. Yeah. 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 By the way, um, my wife uh, is a big fan of yours as well. I mean, you remember Lisa and and, um, and she follows you more on Instagram. I'm, I'm a bad Instagram user. And so she's the one that had me pull up and look at all the artwork you're doing which I saw on your merch page, but uh, I love those, those videos of showing how you made the stencils and how you made the, the, especially the cover art for the, uh, the EP. You're, oh. You have a lot of talent and not just in music. That's really cool. Oh my goodness. Thanks for saying that. That means yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. The, the art, um, making physical art has been a real like, um, therapy for me at like just this year. 
So it um, is a, it's, it's a fairly recent thing that you've started doing? Well, I've been fairly recently, I guess the, the recent part is um, just that I've been doing a lot more of it. Mm. Um, but I've always loved making visual art. Um, and it's, I actually kind of realized last night what I started doing first. Um, I've always been in love with music, but um, I, you know, the, in terms of creating something, anything, I, I gravitated toward visual art hmm. first. I didn't really start creating music until later. So, I mean, later ish. So, um, yeah. So, so visual art, I think is like in it's, the desire to do it is in my bones and, and been there a long time and the time to do it is just yeah. sort of the missing ingredient. And, and also just, you know, it's a little harder to do on the go. And, right. and for, for 10 years I've been touring, you know, a lot of the year. And um, I don't know, just, I, I feel like making something physical like that yeah. just requires, you know, tools and a right. space and consistency um, so that's, those are things that I've had this year that I didn't plan on having <laughs> and, and time for things to dry. Right. I mean, <laughs> and time for things to dry. yes, exactly. That's right. That's right. Well, yeah. Cause I've been block printing mostly and, um, which that's also like, I, that is this year. I, I mm. never got into block printing before. Um, but I love carving shit out of. Mm stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love starting with a block and like, that is so and cool. just taking something metal and carving away at it, you know, and just, it just, it's like, it feels good. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I, and apparent, and I had this flashback earlier this year where I, um, in, when I was like six and seven years old, I got, um, really upset. This is so weird. I got really obsessed with, um, carving soap. Like mm -hmm. I would buy like super cheap bars of like, you know, St. Ives or whatever soap, you know, the green soap bars mm -hmm. and just like carve stuff out of them. And I, for like a year, I just like carved things out of soap. And, and then I forgot about how much I loved carving stuff. Yeah. And and so like this year, I kind of felt like six-year-old me was like, remember this? We love this. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. That is that is super cool. I mean, for one thing, to tap into that part of your brain and and to 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 do that creativity, it's gotta be good for you. I mean, we know doing any kind of art, creating music, painting is good for your brain. I mean, it it releases stuff. So I'm glad you've I'm glad you're doing that. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm just loving it. I'm enjoying it. And um I guess a happy side effect is that it's helped supplement the income that not, not touring um, yeah. has, has taken away. Yeah. <laughs> so that's nice. In terms of responding to the pandemic, I mean, clearly you have, have done things like stepping back into some of this physical art. You've worked on this project for this EP. Um, how, how else have you responded? I mean, have you found like old mechanisms or old coping or old, you know, kind of self-care or um, is there, you know, is, is it been new or old or the same or? Well, um, certainly my go-to um, ever since I was a kid, when I was going through something difficult was to, you know, make it into something. Mm -hmm. Um, 
piece of art, a poem, a song, you know, it's always been, and that's, I guess that's sort of a human response to pain or whatever, but um, that's, that's a huge part of coping. Um, And maybe why I just went into full creation mode Mm -hmm. this year. (laughs) It's like, and, and I, and I say that sensitively because, um, you know, I want to acknowledge that for the first two months of the pandemic for myself, and I know um, for most of the year for a lot of artists, um, it's, you know, a lot of people are paralyzed, you know, so we have like these different responses to trauma, right? We have fight, flight, uh, freeze. Um, yeah. And the freeze, you know, part, I, I just, I think it's valid. I want to acknowledge that yeah. a lot of us um, are familiar with that or in that currently and that, you know, your sense of self-worth isn't based on what you can make out of traumatic situations. Right. right. Um, and sometimes so surviving is, is just enough. Yeah. It is you know. so enough. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And you don't need to, um, you don't need to make anything out of this pandemic. <laughs> right. right. And that being said, I, you know, when for me, when I, in my process, you know, when the, when the creative floodgates felt like they were opening, um, kind of towards the summer at that point, it was like, I kind of went from being frozen to being like, I'm just going to make everything with all of these feelings. (laughs) Here we go. You know? And, um, and I've just been in a, uh, you know, I've been printing and carving and recording and, you know, I mean, just constantly every day making and, and that has its light and dark too, you know, it's, it's, I think there's going to be a real kind of out breath on December 26th for me <laughs> when, um, yeah. you know, the, the, this, pro- this holiday project until next year will be right. um, sort of put to bed. And um, what's been a real beautiful and cathartic whirlwind mm-hmm. will also be a little bit of a relief to sort mm-hmm. of be in the quiet moments <laughs> again yeah. afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you know Liz Longley. I um, love Liz and yeah. she's on the EP. Yeah. Oh, she sings on the EP? Yeah. I love her to death. We, I did I a podcast. I did a podcast with her a month ago, something. It was before the election, you know. She was talking about some of the songs cuz we were talking about songwriting and she said that some of those holiday songs for her EP had been kind of percolating for years. And she said, because it was in the context of songs that kind of get abandoned, you know, in the process, which I think every songwriter has, and that she was kind of acknowledging that those songs, uh, it was just the fact that they were holiday related, that they kept kind of coming back up. And so I'm kind of curious for you, did the, the, the originals that you wrote for this, did you write all of these this year? Is this something that just sort of like because of the pandemic, because you were in, or had you always wanted to do a Christmas project? Well, so um, n- no, I actually never imagined myself making a, a holiday record <laughs> at all. Right. Um, and I love uh, I love holiday music. I I love Christmas stuff. I didn't grow up with a strong like real tradition in my house and I have kind of a split family in terms of you know whatever tradition we have so on the one side we've got a real like we celebrate winter solstice and on the other side there's like you know kind of the the Christmas version of maybe the usual Christmas 
kind of a celebration, um, but no real strong sense of tradition mm. on either side. And so grow, yeah, like, and so growing up with that kind of fluidity and, and kind of like loose, loose grip on tradition, I always kind of felt like I was looking in from the outside on other people's real strong mm. sense, senses mm. of tradition. And so I, I think that's probably a huge part of the reason why I wasn't ever drawn to making a holiday record, but also... When I think of holiday music, I think of kind of one flavor and, and you know, I, like a lot of the stuff, a lot of the new holiday music and a lot of the really popular holiday music is just bright and cheery and mm. syrupy and sugar coated and, you know, all of that. And so, and kind of a little one dimensional mm. and you know, where I kind of live as a songwriter is in, is in the gray area and in the things that are emotionally conflicted or complicated or layered. And, and to me, the most beautiful things are bittersweet. They're a little bit of, of, of both, you know, sides of that emotional spectrum. So that's, that's the other huge reason probably why I didn't really think making um, a holiday record was going to be something that I wanted to do. But this year's holidays, I think really, if if ever there was going to be a year that I felt like I was going to use where where I feel comfortable as a songwriter to to reflect upon what's going on, it was going to be a 2020 holiday yeah. record, you yeah. know? So it it it's it I kind of fell into it really. I didn't plan on it, I didn't picture myself doing it. Over the summer, uh, I had another project um, that we'd been working on for a while that was going to um, launch and I was going to tour and everything. Yeah. All of that got wiped out, obviously. And then, you know, in that blank space, this idea cropped up to do this holiday record. And actually, it was my manager, um, Nate, who first brought mm-hmm. it up. <laughs> and I was like, wow, Nate, that's an interesting idea, you know, Um because it was sort of, it was just like a new thing. I was just, like, my brain was just like, never thought of that before. Um, and then the more I thought about it and the more I chewed on it and um, had conversations with my longtime collaborator and producer, Ryan Hummel, yeah, with my wonderful uh, record label, Signature Sounds. And it's just sort of like throwing the idea out and around my, my musical family and my, my musical world out here. And, um, and it just became very clear that we needed to do do this. Mm. And that was kind of in the late summer, which was already too late <laughs> to mm. make a holiday record. But um, we were just like, we got to do this. You know, we, we have to make this record that's like about, you know, celebrating in the face of uncertainty and and the and what that means. Um, and it, and everyone kind of felt strongly about it. And we and we just decided to dive in. And so the two original songs that um, that I wrote on the record actually are this year Mm. they're not you know i i Mm. I, one of them was um the single uh which is singing sing a christmas song anyway which the title of the ep is sort of derived from that that song i knew was going to kind of be the core of the ep in terms of messaging and i and so i wanted to write that one with ryan and uh, so he's in LA and, and the way we went, we've always co-written songs together, you know, in the room right, together. Yeah, and so yeah. this was, this was our first time writing a song together remotely or making an album for that matter. Right. <laughs> but um, so he basically sent me a couple of different guitar parts mm-hmm. that 
he felt like um, kind of sounded like what we were talking about, like sounded like the, that the feeling. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to, you know, it was like just a iPhone recording and I just listened to it over and over again. And then the song just kind of started, started forming over top of those mm. um, guitar parts. And it, I was so clear about what I wanted to say. And the guitar parts were so perfect for the, the mood um, that I, it was literally like 24 hours. And that song was wow like done. Um, you know, we, we rearranged a little bit, but lyrically it was 24 hours and, and like everything that, I feel like we all wanted to say was, was in there. Right. Um, and that's, and that's, that's not common for you in your songwriting. Is that what it, it is not as common as I would like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. This, this was like, this song had sort of a sense of urgency to it for mm-hmm. me. And yeah, I feel like there are some songs that I've written like that, that, that feel like they're just falling out of the sky and into my lap, right. um, which I love, but yeah, I mean, oftentimes it's like this idea and like something that I want to communicate hmm. and a few, maybe like characters or, um, or whatever, you know, like the scene, the scene of the song is in my head, but, but I don't have the character or the character right. is in my head, but I don't, um, I'm not super clear on what the message is or, you know, there's right. sort of like always a little blank space to sort of try and reach and fill in until the song feels like this whole, you know, being, it takes a while. And then I edit and I, and I am an editor, and that's probably like, I don't know, 85, 90% of my songs gotcha. <laughs> is that kind of, a but some, yeah. of, some of them are, I'm, I'm always reminded of Mark Arelli, who I know you're um, um, friends with. And I've gotten a chance to talk to him a couple of times. I remember he said one time, cause I asked him about songwriting and he said, I, I just have to have something to say. And, and when I do, yeah. then, then there's, you know, then that's, that's when that kind of happens. So yep. uh, Christians and the pagans, by the way, I was thinking about that as being the perfect 2020 Christmas song because I mean for one thing built in there as you were describing this this family kind of connection between these uh these traditions which are often not compatible as as your song obviously uh, addresses but you know reaching across and and sharing and finding commonality I mean that's it's it's a, I, I was walking my dogs one of my dogs and I just gotten your uh, EP and that song came on and I was just walking down the street going, wow, this is awesome. I love this song. So how did that one, I mean, obviously you have that family background, but, but that is, is that a, a description of what your, some of these holidays were like? No, well actually, so that's a Dar Williams song. Oh, it is. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, oh right. yes. No, no worries. I'm flattered that you, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that straight to heart. Like one of yours. <laughs> Well, you know, it's so funny because I, I really relate to Dar in, in her, mm. um, just the way she approaches writing and, um, and using characters and setting mm-hmm. a scene and stuff like that. Uh, and her, and her incredibly message driven, you know, driven mm-hmm. songwriting at times. And like that song is a great example. Yeah. So no, it just, it was like, just happenstance that I huh. feel like she wrote a song that, that really spoke to you know my personal experience and then also right you know something that feels really relevant um so i mean the stars were aligned there for us to include that um and i and i again i love sort of the non-holiday holiday song you know and that Mm -hmm. really is Mm -hmm. a a, a perfect Mm -hmm. one that was it and covering that didn't come to me um 
right away, surprisingly, um, my the president of Signature Sounds, Jim Olson, he suggested it to us. And, and when he did, I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I think of that? Um, and so, and what's really funny is that I was touring with Dar. Uh, I was on the road with her when the pandemic hit. Mm. And we, so it was that tour that we had to each day go like, should we right. play the show? When do we yep. cancel this? Yeah. A lot of reasons why that, that song and, and, and Dar feel like kind of a big part of the mm. story this year for me. That's yeah. cool. I, I realized, by the way, obviously I am not, I, I, I know of Dar Williams and I've listened, but I have not obviously deeply uh, listened to her catalog. That's a, that's a great song. So, so you wrote, you wrote um, Christmas anyway, which is, and then what, what's the other original is um, it's called table for the feast. Table for the feast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I really, um, I partially dreamt that song. It was super weird. And it was like, after we had demoed everything, for the EP. And so it was a very last minute addition, mm. but it is speaking of Christians and pagans, which I think is a song that really speaks to tolerance and acceptance mm-hmm. and expanding, you know, just being willing to expand and, and connect. I think table for the feast for me is, is sort of the inner answer to Christians and pagans, because it's really, about inner tolerance and mm. inner acceptance of whatever visitors may come mm. um, in your own mind and heart, uh, and all, and specifically, and the reason why I wanted it to be a holiday song was because what I've noticed is that, um, particularly on Christmas, there's this sort of like frantic need to be happy, mm. and and I think when when another feeling other than happiness or cheeriness creeps in, it can be really disappointing. And yes. it ironically makes Christmas feel more depressing yes. <laughs> for, for some people. So Table for the Feast is about offering a seat at the table to things like sadness or mm. loneliness or anger Um anxiety, whatever, whatever it is that wants to show up on that day, um, you know, to let it in and, and give it space and invite it to the celebration and, um, you know, find a more grounded happiness. And if you can't find happiness, like, you know, some kind of peace at the very least. Good morning, happy Christmas, warm greetings, hello. I wasn't invited, but I've nowhere to go And you'll probably tell me to please go away Especially on this particular day But I'm here on your doorstep And I'm someone you know It's me, your old friend, I'm your sorrow And you've got a long, long Yeah, it seems to me you're describing the 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 push towards what some people call toxic positivity, where you have to kind of overwhelm and just deny any of these other emotions that are a part of it. Um, that's that's lovely. Oh my gosh, you nailed it. That's it. You totally got it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's totally it. We have to make up for for not knowing that the other one was a Dar Williams song. So, oh my gosh, <laughs> no, no way. If you don't mind, just because we're talking about specific songs, there's a couple of your songs. Um, I also had a conversation with Peter Mulvey. I think you know Peter. Yeah. Um, and so I talked to both Peter and Mark. And one of the questions that came up at the time, this was before the election, and was really about this shut up and sing kind of mentality in in a lot of fans. You know, and Mark you know, has written songs about the Iraq war, has, has written songs about our political dialogue. And of course, Peter is like, you know, he's he's going to tell you what he thinks. And I love That's that. That's right. Yeah, I love that too. And you have written a couple of songs. I mean, certainly the anti-gun violence song. Um, how many more? That that I still remember when we got that one. Um, listen to that over and over again. And then, and then, of course, Enigma is to a certain degree a political song, uh, or at least it seems like to me, two of my favorite songs. Have Have you gotten pushback from people about about either one of those songs? <laughs> This is a really good question. And um, interestingly enough, the most the most pushback I've gotten are are on those two songs. Um, and I and I feel like I've I've spoken directly to a number of um, social or political issues in my songs. But when it comes to anything having to do with the F word feminism or anything having to do with common sense gun control right uh just invites the most vile violent mm. just reactionary response and i'm i'm really i've really come to know that and um it's it's been a journey <laughs> yeah. how many more i was in florida when i wrote that song and i had just heard about the parkland shooting and I was staying at this cottage that I used to rent um, in Orlando and I was like a few minutes from Pulse nightclub, uh, mm -hmm. which, so I heard about Parkland, you know, basically right off the road from where Pulse is. And then further up the road was a venue that I had um, played a show at uh, called La Plaza Live, maybe like two years prior to that. And there was, uh, I was, I was actually really shaken because that year or yeah, earlier that year, the same year as Parkland, there was, um, a singer who was shot at that venue by like a deranged fan or something. And, and I was really shaken because I was standing at the merch table that she was shot at. So just to paint a picture, when I heard about Parkland, all of these instances of gun violence just like rose up around me in my mind. And, and I felt this feeling of like being completely submerged in a culture of gun violence that mm. I had no escape from, even if I didn't want to get involved or get involved in conversation or get involved politically or say anything at all. Even if I, you know, did what a lot of right. people want me to do and shut up, I still couldn't get away from it. Not right. even in my little cottage, you know, down there just to write some songs and mind my own business, you know. A, A is for allegiance. 
It's what you pledge every morning to the flag And B B is for bravery In the home of the brave It's what you gotta be Because C C is for children Hiding in the cabinets The trenches of the classroom And D for drill and this is not a drill this is not a drill and how many more how many more how many babies in the ground how many friends how many more how many more how many more till we say I still, it still was touching my life and I couldn't escape. And that, that was the feeling that I had when I wrote that song and knowing that people, especially on the internet get pretty, you know, they, they can get the worst of humanity shows up on, mm -hmm. you know, in comments. When I wrote the song, I really, 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 really wanted to write a song that didn't point fingers, that didn't blame, that didn't make any super broad statements. Like I think all guns should be right. thrown out the window. Um, you know, nothing about that song did I intend um, to be extreme or accusatory or even controversial. I, I literally just wanted to ask that simple question and talk about and start a conversation in my own world and in, in my own circles to figure out the, the issue that we have mm -hmm. with children dying, <laughs> you yes. know, I mean, like with, yes. like, I literally just wanted to say, Hey, can we have a conversation about this? Right. And, and if not, like how many more is it going to take till we right. can? Yeah. And that, that intention felt so, so like pure and centered. And it felt like it was coming from a place of conscious communication, not just right. like, you know, the, the fight continuing. I felt like I was coming into it with an open heart. And even with all of that, Brad, I got a death threat and uh, I got, you know, comments that I wouldn't even repeat. Right. Um, right. And so, you and, know, they do, they do. To, oh, go ahead. Well, I was thinking related to the other song. Do you think that a lot of that was because you're a woman speaking out on this? I think that doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think, um, you know, for the, for the whole, um, shut up and sing mentality, I think that there's a, a shut up and sing and look pretty or entertain mm -hmm. me or, or don't, don't rock the boat, just mm -hmm. be there for, for our enjoyment or whatever, you know, I think that that feels mm -hmm. like, you know, the dials just turned up a little bit. I, you know, my friends, Peter Mulvey and Mark Arelli and everyone in the songwriting world who's, who's opened themselves up to that kind of, um, right. uh, what did you say? Um, shut up and sing kind of, or yeah, the, or the, yeah, yeah. Stay in your lane. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Stay in your lane. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I know that what everyone's felt in that with that is, is valid. Um, but I do think that gender is, is, is a piece. And then, 
um, race is a piece too. Yes. And, and yes. like, there are people, unfortunately out there who would say like, who do you think you are to, um, to say anything on this topic? Right. Um, you're not allowed in the conversation. And so, right. um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's true. And I've, I've had a lot of work around dealing with what people say on the internet. <laughs> yeah. 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 You've had to, I, I'm sorry. I was just thinking by the way about the political side. So when I started doing this podcast is because we couldn't do the house concerts and I was, I was missing talking to musicians. And then I thought, well, I mean, you know, I've got a computer and a microphone. Why don't I try this? And I'm also doing a political podcast with a friend where we, we, you know, where I curse a lot and, and it's a lot of venting and kind of getting it out of my system. And it's a lot of fun. And so with the, with the music one though, I've always, at, at the beginning, I was like, I'm not going to talk politics and that's, you know, but then I was like, but I'm, I listen mostly to folk Americana music. I mean, that's Billie Holiday and strange fruit. That's Woody Guthrie. And you know, that's, that's, that's so many uh, Rihanna Giddens out there right now doing some amazing work on race and, I'm like, this music has always been political. So those people that are telling you you're just here to entertain me is, uh, which is almost a line from Enigma. Isn't it? Um, that's right. Uh, that's right. Is, and I am not a lady you can tame. I am not a girl that you can shame. I am not a woman you can name. I'm an enigma. You went to buy yourself a fender. You put the ukulele down. They always seem to use your gender. Sometimes you put a pretty show on, sometimes you turn it up a lot. When do you sing a little folk song? When do you want to fucking rock? Uh, they're, they're forgetting the roots of the music that you are steeped in. That's so true. I, that is so true. I wish I could. I wish you could scream that from the rooftop so that <laughs> it really sank in. But But what you're saying is absolutely right. Music has... And especially folk music, yeah. music from folks, yeah. people, music, music of the people. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. It's never been separated from the issues of the people. Right. And for people to say the issues of being a, a woman or, or the issues of not being white uh, or whatever the issues are that, that you deal with on a daily basis because of who you are, right. are, are, political and not personal and that that's that's also this strange gap that I'll never understand mm -hmm. because maybe it's maybe it's political for you you know this person who's saying you know don't sing about politics but what you're calling politics is is my everyday life right. um it's things that I deal with every day it's right. things it's comments that I deal with on the internet it's um, needing to have someone escort me during loadout after a gig because, uh, you know, I've got a stalker in this city or right. these are things that I'm living. They're right. not, I don't think of the word politics when I'm nervously loading a guitar into the back of a van at 2 AM. Yeah. Like I, I'm yeah. thinking about life or death. I'm thinking about, um, yeah. Why am, why am I experiencing this? Right. Uh, what can I do about it? Maybe I can write a song, you know? Um, right. Yeah, yeah, so I I so appreciate that you're uh, that you recognize that. Well, I I remember when I first heard Enigma was at Folk Alliance. Uh, it was Lisa's first year at Folk Alliance, and we saw you in a um, 
small showcase, just you and Ryan. And then, and that was right after, um, the, the other, your EP, um, just enough sun came out. Yeah. Which by the way, I've been listening to this last week in just sort of, as I was, you know, you were on my mind. That is a phenomenal EP. I mean, that's, that is, I mean, I, I the let me stay is one of my absolute favorite songs period, you know, um, Anyway, back to sorry, because uh, we were we were at Folk Alliance and and then you had an, an official showcase. And uh, so I heard that that song a couple of times and I was blown away by it at, immediately. And I thought, what a creative way to deal with. I mean, it's not obviously it's not my experience, but I'm observing this, observing how much women in music and everywhere are sexualized and are um asked to be a certain thing and um so i i i think that's a fantastic song i've shared that with a lot of people um you know the some of the videos you got a couple of good videos of that song and uh so i'll send them to people and i've had a lot of women friends who write me back and say thank you for sharing this with me this is this is so perfect so good job on that one i mean thank you and oh you know what? it's my favorite thing when um I see that like some of the biggest advocates for, you know, sharing for that song or the message in that song are, are my, uh, my male friends, Mm. um, and, and, and supporters and, and fans. It's, it's like, it's, it just touches the corners of my heart. Um, it's yeah. I, I appreciate that. I, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of, I mean, it's amazing. One of our friends, uh, Emily Scott Robinson, she's a singer-songwriter. I don't know if you've run across her. Um, she had a story from Montreal's Folk Alliance where, you know, some guy just made this catty comment to her in in a, in a sexualized way in the, you know, at a one o'clock in the morning showcase. And she's like, what, why am I, you know, why we're, you know, it's just how common it is. And so I'm, I, yeah. I know, what I've seen is just a small percentage of what is your lived experience. And so um, kudos to you for actually using that as a place to write, you know, truth to power is, is what that is. And so. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. I so appreciate it. Do you remember that song in, in the, maybe the nineties and it was like, I'm a bitch, I'm yeah. a lover, I'm a child, I'm yeah. a mother, Who I'm that? a sinner, I'm a saint. Um, narrative oh, i can't remember anyway we'll all google it after this yeah. but um i i always love that song i remember being like you know second grade or whatever and hearing it i'm like yeah you know <laughs> that's right and um and i think i realized like halfway through writing enigma that my my real inclination was to say all of the things that i'm not um, because that, you know, that song, you know, she's sort of like, what's so empowering about that song is that she's owning it. She's like, listen, you're going to call me a bitch. Fine. I'm a bitch. Yeah. You're going to call me, uh, this, uh, you're going to call me, uh, whatever. Fine. I am. Um, which I love. And I think for me, Enigma was sort of like, actually, uh, I'm none of those things. I can't be defined or contained. Right. Um, and my sense of self is so fluid that you'll never capture it. And right. um, good luck. <laughs> it was like, it was like, I kind of felt like I was like taking that little, you know, nineties, you know, version of myself and like just driving it home on a new level for yep. 
adult Heather. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I, and by the way, I remember the guy that introduced you at your public or your official showcase. I, I remember because I'd already heard Enigma um, and he introduced you commenting on your appearance and your attractiveness. And yeah. I remember sitting there going, I hope he listens to this song because, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that instead yeah. of saying this amazing voice and this amazing singer songwriter. I mean, that, that's yeah. exactly anyway. That, that was, Oh I, my God. Me. And you do see these are, thank you again. Thank you for noticing because you know, there's sort of like the, these there there's covert and there's overt, right? So right. like this other songwriter you were talking about who, you know, she just had this person right to her face, say something in the middle of her showcase. Um, but then there's all these sort of little subtle things that are constantly driving the message home that, you know, this is what your worth is based upon. Right. This this is what we value you. This is what we don't value about you. And all those little messages are just like seeping in in all these different ways. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I would wrote it. I would load into a venue with Ryan and immediately they would go talk to him. Um, if they didn't know who the performer was that night, right. right. They'd immediately check in with him. Like, um, you know, just let me know what you need, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, and it, whatever and and he'd be like actually that's the that's the headliner um right. <laughs> and i'd be like or you know we'd be setting up our gear and um someone you know a, a sound technician would come over and say like oh you know you just need to turn this dial on your preamp um you know, for whatever. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I've actually been using this preamp for eight years now. I, I know right. exactly how it works, <laughs> but it was just like all of those little moments of, yep. you probably don't know how that works. Let me help you. Or, yeah. and it seeps in and you have to constantly counter that messaging mm. Mm. with your own and mm. whew, it gets exhausting. <laughs> I can only imagine. And I'm also thinking about how many times I've done that. That's the part that is so frustrating. Part of the reason I became a feminist, I think, was when I realized um, how much that was not good for men to be this masculine bullshit artist, you know. And then I was hanging around all these smart women, you know. And uh, but even then, even then, it's 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 a part of the culture. It's part of the air we breathe. It's much like white supremacy, you know. We're all kind of steeped in it, and and patriarchy is a big part of that. And I, I have found myself, I remember I had to, I went, I was at a camp, sorry, I was at a, a music camp and there was this couple and I talked only to the husband and I don't normally do that. And I went back and I actually apologized to her because I realized what I had done. And I, I, you know, I have no idea what was going on in my brain because that's not who I want to be, but you know, it's, it's just there anyway. That's sorry, well, I'll edit all I, that out, but I love that story. And I love that you, tell it. Um, I mean, that's a part of the, that's a part of the change. That's a huge part of the change. Yeah. And, um, and I love actually that you said that it's also bad for, um, men or anyone who identifies as male, right. That the patriarchy, I, I love that you said this because yeah. it does hurt everyone just like white supremacy does. The, the best conversations I've had after playing the song Enigma with, any any man who's come up to me after the show to talk about it i i feel like i need to be this certain way i feel like i need to not show vulnerability publicly i feel like you know um right whatever it is and and getting to think of myself as an enigma and getting to allow myself to 
be and feel and express however I want in any given moment. It's such a good feeling. And I, and I just really appreciate that you put that into a song uh, and then I'm just like, yes. So, because it is, it's, 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 right. it does hurt everyone. Yeah. And, and whether that's apparent or not, maybe there are certain people in the society that it's, it's, it's more obvious that it's, it's not good for, but, but that's the nature of things that are toxic. They seep in and, um, and all of those little moments that you're, that you're aware enough to notice um, and address yeah. and even talk about yeah. uh, they, they add up and they're important. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um Wow, I didn't expect to talk. I love that song so much. I'm I'm so glad we're uh, able to talk about this. Um, me too. Let Let me just real quick. I don't, I don't want to take your whole day, so I I, I want to. Um, although I could talk to you for a long time, but I I want to. In all the times we've talked, I, I think we first met. Well, I saw you first in uh, Pagosa Springs when you were touring with Darling Side. Yes. So that was the very first time I ever heard you. And I'm not sure if I, I know I talked to the Darling Side guys. I don't know if I had a chance to talk to you at, at Four Corners because, you know, the festival, it's, it's you know, with the, it's not always easy. But then we had you come to the depot in Norman and I was your advanced person. Yes. Um, and you came first and did a solo, uh, solo gig. Um, and, and so, you know, we've chatted a little bit, you know, when we were setting up and all that kind of stuff. But um, I don't think we've ever talked about like when you started playing guitar, when you started writing songs, when did you discover that people really wanted to hear your voice? Um, I mean, when, when did that, when did that kind of awareness that you had that powerful voice that you could do things that most singers can't, when did that oh, happen? Oh gosh. <laughs> well, that's, that's very, um, that's very nice of you to say. I, what Marcarelli was saying about having something to say mm -hmm. is a really big part of my musical path um because f i've always loved to sing and i and i knew that i was really drawn to the way that i feel when i'm singing and i was sort of chasing after that feeling uh when i decided to study it and so i i trained in opera i kind of dabbled in different really? um things <laughs> yeah. yeah um i i studied a little bit of um improvisational jazz. I got really into Bobby McFerrin and how he mm -hmm. uses his voice mm -hmm. and, um, and studied with one of his students. Uh, I got into classical Indian um, singing mm -hmm. because for the same reason, there's a lot of like just improvisation and like, you know, I, have you ever listened to like Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan or like the ecstatic Sufi singer yeah. singers? And, yeah. Like, like, I just, I love the idea of the voice just being this like instrument of, mm -hmm. you know, ecstatic joy and just expression. And so I, for, for a few years, I just, you know, I, I just studied and explored all the ways you could use your voice, but really it wasn't about what I had to say. It was about the feeling hmm. of, of using, of using your voice, which I think is a very pure, simple and um, direct way of experiencing the joy um, of singing. And then what I found, and especially when I zeroed in on classical operatic singing, was that, uh, and, in, and even in jazz, when you're studying and when you're surrounded by other people who are 
trying to learn and grow and build build a, a career or a path to one, um, there's a lot of competition or comparison and like, you know, are you doing this technically correctly? And, uh, you know, whatever status, uh, it's just, there's a lot there that doesn't feel good. Um, doesn't feel ecstatic or right. freeing and, or just like joyful on a simple level. And so it started to feel like something I was falling out of love with. And that's when I found meditation. That's around when I, I decided to uh, move to a silent meditation retreat center for a few years. And ironically, it was there. Um, I, I lived um, at this place called Insight Meditation Society, an amazing community in central Massachusetts. And ironically, there is where I started writing my first fully formed songs. Hmm. And what I found was that I was drawn to folk music because it didn't matter if you hit this note technically correctly. It didn't matter if you were better or worse than the singer next to you. Um, it didn't matter if someone knew your name or, or you were singing on a street corner. Like if you have something to say, it's worth singing the song. And that resonated with me to my core. And I think when I had the time and space at the meditation center, I, I was able to get in touch with what my values were through the practice of meditation. I was able to realize that the things that were most important to me were not status, but were being kind, seeking my, my, seeking and growing and staying in touch with my own inner wisdom, helping others if I'm capable of it. And if not working on becoming capable of it, I, I just started to get really clear on some core values. And those core values turned into songs. And that's because those songs felt for me like little signposts or, you know, sticky notes, reminders to return to, if I could take this insight or this lesson that I learned today at, from this teacher at the meditation center and put it into a song, I can put that in my pocket and take it with me for the rest of the way. And that developed into a handful of songs while I was there. And then I was lucky enough to have my first manager be someone who was at the uh, meditation center um, who heard my music and was you know, moved enough by it and, and heard my voice and felt that it was something to share. And so that led me out of the meditation center again and, and into the world. And I wouldn't have done it had it not been for the people there, you know, telling me that it was time to go out <laughs> and, mm. and share what you had to say and how you have to say it. Um, so yeah, my, my path has been definitely a windy one. And I'm constantly trying to, I, I feel like ever since, ever since I started life as a songwriter, I've been trying to integrate the, the silence and the stillness and the, 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 ins, the, the insights that are available and everything at the meditation center with sort of the wild, hectic, crazy, constantly in motion life of a touring working musician and that integration has been like one of the 
challenges of my life. But by the way, in terms of your sense of who you are, and I can see it in you having run into you over the years, it feels like it feels like each time I see Heather, there's even even more just sort of this very comfortable person in who you are. I mean, just very not not you know in your face, not uh, not uh, self-aggrandizing in any way, but in fact, just very centered. And I was thinking about the last time I saw you play was at the Magic Rat here in in Fort Collins, and um, I don't know if you remember that. It's a hotel bar. Yeah, yeah. It's not a great venue, as I'm sure you know. Yes, I yeah. mean, it's, you know, you got all these people wandering through and everything else. And when I saw you were going to be there, I had to, we had to go see you because uh, we yeah. love your music and we love getting a chance to see you. But I'm like, oh, damn it. Why is it the Magic Rat? We need to see you at a better venue. You owned that room like you had bought it. But it wasn't like you were, you know, it, but it, you took over that space. <laughs> In in a uh, it was it was absolutely fantastic and 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 I think part of that was you I mean I've got songs to say uh, I've got something to say songs to sing and I'm gonna do this and you just it was amazing it was it was really it was it was fantastic <laughs> sorry good. oh gosh thank you yeah. I I no I appreciate that it's 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 really you know it's. I've, my ideal is a quiet room, yeah. um, starting with a quiet room. And I'm, I'm actually really introverted and I've really worked on developing a part of myself for the stage. Right. Um, and, but I prefer, I'm like a cat, you know, I, I prefer it to be quiet and much less stimulating. Right. But I think that, yeah, there's, there are, and maybe this is a really I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of positive to this, but when you're, when you're in a line of work that forces you to stretch and and access parts of who you are to meet the situation that you're in, um, sometimes that's exhilarating and, and you learn something new about yourself. Um, I certainly have in those situations where I'm, you know, a girl on a goose and an acoustic guitar and I'm, and I walk into a loud bar room and I'm like, oh God, I, I feel so small. How is this going to work? I, I think if you can approach it like playful, right? Like, mm. well, um, what if I, what if I'm this, this way today? What if, what if, um, what if I'm just fuck it? <laughs> what if tonight I'm just fuck it and I just play and, you know, right. and that's, that's a, you know, again, like that's, that's not my, my normal, my, my normal mode is I care about what, how are you feeling? Do you need a moment? Let's sit quietly together. Do you want to talk about this? This is my, um, you know, like normal, I'm, I'm normally not a like, Oh, fuck it. You know, but (laughs) sometimes that you pull that out and you, and it's, you try that on and you try that costume on and you do the play and, and, and maybe that'll, maybe that'll be the energy or the version of yourself to meet the situation. I know you're busy and everything. So let me, if you don't mind, I've got three more questions. These are what I've been finishing all my podcasts with. So the first question is, who is the songwriter that makes your jaw drop? Mm, Anais Mitchell. Oh, yeah. 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 I got to see her. That's open my for, gut. That was my gut response. <laughs> and that's, that's, uh, I mean, I, I, we saw her open for Patty Griffin in Oklahoma city and, um, 
had never heard of her and she came out and played uh why we build a wall and you know i don't, I don't think i've ever oh, picked the jaw back up off the floor it's just amazing <laughs> she's she's i know here's number two and you may have answered some of this but thinking about um genres of music or artists that do music that you yourself would not do who out there or what genre do you think informs how you write and how you sing or, or any of that? Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that does it have to be music? No. Oh, okay. I, I actually was thinking that um, there are two poets that Mm. I circle back to and sometimes even just straight up harvest lines (laughs) from um, so, uh, Rilke, Rainer Rui Rilke and, uh, Rumi, both of, both of those, uh, there, there are just a number of poems that I, I feel like as, as poets, I feel like they were, especially Rumi were aware, uh, so keenly aware that, that words will never quite touch the reality and the experience um, and the aliveness of whatever it was that mm-hmm. they were attempting to capture in that poem. And that acknowledgement of how words will always fall short, but the, but the sheer commitment to continuing to try to touch that truth, that is an aspect of writing that I will always be in love with. That's really cool. Okay. So third question, speaking of flawed questions, is do you have a, a guilty pleasure music? Ooh, a guilty pleasure music. Um, definitely, definitely Backstreet Boys. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could listen to, I could listen to, especially like, um, you know, that there are two records that I've listened to over and over again as a teenager. And, um, I, I, I will never get tired of hearing. <laughs> and to be fair, you probably yeah. don't feel the least bit guilty about that, correct? No, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Nor should no. you. Well, we have two of your albums on vinyl. And so uh, we'll be looking forward to uh, whatever you do next. And um, I just wanted to thank you personally. Uh, we love your music. In fact, uh, my friends Mark and Misty and Norman, by the way, have been texting me this morning. Uh, Misty sent me an, uh, a screenshot of her satellite radio showing one of your songs and and saying, uh, "Tell tell Heather uh, hi." And uh, uh, you know, so many people who love your music. Um, it's it's a it's a great pleasure. It's a great privilege you sitting down and taking time with me, and I appreciate it very much. But thank you so much, and I, I hope you have a safe holiday and uh, just you know a wonderful time. I, I and good luck with your with your EP release. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for supporting it. Thanks for doing this, and thanks for like the really thoughtful questions. It's so oh. nice to to answer questions that are that are thoughtful and enjoyable. Um, I and appreciate that. Make you think. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. That very much. And. And, you know, and thank you for the support over the years. I feel like you and Lisa have been um, just with me along along my path and, and supporting what I'm doing and making. And, and I just take it straight to heart. And 
I know you guys are real music people. So I, I just, it's, it's, um, it means a lot. Well, thank you. Thanks for tuning in. You can find links in the podcast details and hope that you will find ways to support musicians and artists during this hard time. We need our poets and truth tellers now more than ever. See you next time on Music at Three Pines, the podcast. I know everyone's a good dog under these three pines.